And now another edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman. Every edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman airs weekdays on the American Forces Network in countries around the world. Each show is also available as a podcast at ontravel.com and at iTunes. Just use the keyword on travel. Here's Paul and Elizabeth. Today on Traveling, the inimitable Max Hartshorn joins us once again. Max has been, well, halfway around the world. He's been to China and back and just enjoyed a trip to China immensely. I'm not quite sure anybody who goes to China doesn't enjoy a trip to China. But he has been in Zhangjiji, Hainan Island, and um, just a whole lot of other places and flew Highland Hainan Air, which has started up to be a real, reliable international carrier. Max, welcome to Traveling. Always great to be with you, Paul, on a snowy day in South Deerfield, Massachusetts. Nice to snow out there. I'm all done with my snow plowing, so I'm ready to chat about that. Zhang Zhiji, Hunan, and Hainan Island, China. Well, now I've got to tell you, here in Southern California, it's overcast, but there's no hint of snow. Well, I know a lot of people say they're happy they don't live where there's snow, but, you know, I think there's nothing cozier in the world than clearing your snow and then making a nice fire in the fireplace and enjoying some uh, some clam chowder in front of the fire. <laughs> you you obviously have your wood pile stocked. There's no other oh, yeah. way for that sense of optimism. I am fully stocked, and I have next year's green wood ready to be burned after I'm all done with the dry wood. Oh, but anyway, all right. let's talk. Zhang Zhiji is an extraordinary part of China, and it's a place that I don't know if they're really ready for us or not, Paul. Uh, you know, some places in China are very sophisticated when it comes to tourism, uh, English language, Western accommodations, and so forth. Um, I had some fun in Zhang Zhiji and saw some, some of those striking natural formations and geographic things I've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. But it, it's not a place where there's a whole lot of English being spoken. It's a little bit of a hard translation. And so you get a little sense of like the China the way it used to be, where people didn't speak as much English. Well, you know, when Elizabeth and I were there first in 1984, um, we would stop, we stopped on the street by young people who said, may I practice my English on you? And of course, that's sort of stopped now in, in the big cities. But I would imagine in Zhang uh, Zhiji, it might still happen. Well, you know what does happen? More often than not, what happens is the Chinese love photographs, and they love taking photographs with funny-looking Westerners like us. So you can still see it in, in my photographs, and that's what anybody has. Most people's experience of China is awfully fun because they're lovely people, and they just love taking pictures of you, especially with them. Uh, you know, we were with a guy who was quite tall, and he just was the most popular magnet for photographs, as well as a wonderful African-American woman who had a big, a beautiful camera, and she just couldn't get enough pictures taken with her and the Chinese friends she's met along the way. Wow. Well, you know, that's one of the joys of going to China is meeting the people. And there is a, a, a really a sense of ingenuousness and sophistication all at the same time. I mean, after all, they have, what, 3,000 years of history. 
It really, yeah, it's so neat. You know, you, you think of China, there's so many, it's such a vast country, very big, obviously. Now, you know, geographically, the country's quite different in different places. If you go to Western China, it's like being in the Gobi, it's the Gobi Desert, you know. If you go to the north of China, where Beijing and the industrial parts of China, the air pollution is staggering and hard to really take. But there was two reasons why I really enjoyed the parts of China I visited. I started out, as you mentioned, I flew to the island of Hainan Island, which is a, if you look at a map of China, there's a kind of a round island on the bottom of China. It's quite large. There's 9 million people who live on that island, and that's who, that's Hainan. And they have their own airline, and it's owned by a group that has 400 airplanes. So it's quite a significant airline. It flies out of about four different places in the United States, including Boston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, JFK. So you can get to Hainan Island, and the air is as nice as it is in Cape Cod or in Massachusetts. It's, it's, it's a seaside resort. So there's beaches, and there's very clean air. And one of the things that's really staggering about China in general, and Hainan especially, is the number of high-rise buildings that have been built and that are under construction, Paul. It's as if everybody wants to move to Hainan for their vacation home, so the rich Beijingers are buying these apartments in 50 and 70-story buildings that are being built en masse. You wouldn't believe the number of projects. For instance, there's another project in Hainan, which is also quite staggering. It's called Mission Hills. There's 10 golf courses all next to each other in this one place called Mission Hills. There's a Tech Woods course. There's a Phil Nicholson course. There's all the major golfers have their own design courses in this concentration of golf courses in a funny, funny place, Heinen Island. I never knew. Well, you know, uh, we should mention that Max, of course, is editor of GoNomad.com. So you can read all about his travels on GoNomad.com. And one of the things that Max does is bring a real person's perspective to his travels. This is not elitist travel. This is not kids' travel. This is real people's travel. That's true. And and the places like, you know, and if you if you go to if you take the typical kind of uh package tour to China, you're gonna go to Beijing, you're gonna go to see the Terracotta Warriors, you're gonna go to Shanghai. Those are three magnificent places, but I like the idea like we did. To go to a place like Hainan, which is an unusual place, a little bit different with a seaside and high-speed rail all around the island. And then we went and we flew to a city called Changsha. And Changsha is a small city of 8 million. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the, Isn't in it the funny Hune- how they, when they, they say, uh, you know, we're just a small city, you know, and it's 8 million people. <laughs> Eight million people, yeah, in Changsha. And in Changsha, we got a chance to do something that many Chinese people really enjoy. We went to a classical music concert in the beautiful Changsha Auditorium. And they had the the German orchestra, a classical orchestra from Bamberg, Germany. We played many times, and it was a magnificent concert. And you should see, Paul, the tiniest little Chinese kids listening with rapt attention to these violins and these cellos and these oboes playing the sweet music of 
Mozart, and these young kids are just riveted. The Chinese love classical music, and it was wonderful to see the Germans love it too. And to see the Germans and the Chinese having a concert and listening to a Philharmonic Orchestra in that beautiful city of, of, of Changsha, which is a wonderful city, and it's in Hunan. And now Hunan, besides being a, a, a moniker of many Chinese restaurants in the United States, they talk about Hunan this and Hunan that. Hunan is very important to the Chinese because Mao was born in Hunan and went to school and college in Hunan province. And not only that, one of his favorite dishes is Hunan noodles, which is a rather, rather hot noodle dish, but is wonderful. And you can get it here uh, for, for years in Celia Chang's amazing Mandarin restaurant in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I love the food in China. Although I must say, the food in China, I love the spice of the food. Um, and when we went in Hunan, they're famous for their peppers. Um, in Sichuan, they're famous for their peppercorns. But I learned that in Hunan, they're famous for their red peppers, their cover food. Like, for instance, when they come to the table, uh, they use these big lazy Susans. So they put all the food on these lazy Susans and you just spin it around and get whatever you want. One of the things, though, that the Chinese seem to be able to digest bones a little better than I can, because everything we had, fish and chicken, was filled with bones. It was a little hard to eat. Yes, uh, I've encountered that as well. And, of course, the spices are different. It's not just heat. I, I, I um, uh, likened it to Mexican food is like a trumpet playing in your ear. You know, it's hot, it's aggressive, it's everything. Chinese food in China is like a symphony orchestra. It might take your fingernails off, but it is so subtle and so varied that it just, it, it, it's, it's a whole world of great spices and great tastes in the food. I think it's just remarkable. It's it was really, I mean, there was some things are really spicy, but actually, I, it wasn't so spicy that it would numb you. It was more like just a nice, pleasant spice. I also love the variety of vegetables. They had lots of different, really good vegetables. The only promise for my vegetarian friends who traveled with us is that they often cook those wonderful vegetables in lard and in pork fat. Quite a bit of pork fat in the food. Um, the food was typical for some of the people on our trip. One of the times that one of my most enjoyable experiences was when we snuck away, and you can see the photograph, Paul, in my collection of photographs of two gentlemen looking at a, a girl who's carrying some fried tofu and fried calamari. And we went to a street vendor. And we got those, and we snuck away from the banquet. We decided to have dinner at a local place and drank, that, drank some, some local beer and ate some fried tofu from on sticks that you can see there in the picture. Well, you know, uh, this whole thing about street food in China, I went to a, a whole area of Sichuan province that the one of the favorite street food dishes is rabbit head. Uh, <laughs> and, and, trust me. And that's exactly what it is. And people walk down the street picking the meat off of rabbit heads, and, uh, which are very hot, incidentally. Everything in Sichuan is hot. But it was just remarkable. And there's a Chinese ter term for that, which I won't even try to say because I probably would get it wrong and offend everyone. But uh, it's it's true. The, the uh, rabbit heads. Anyway, uh, there are other things, I'm sure, but... 
Rabbit heads, rabbit heads stuck out uh, in me because uh, you couldn't take a picture of these street stalls without huge piles of rabbit heads. Yeah, the, the other the other specialty which I was somewhat horrified by was we went to a restaurant in um, in Changjiji, and we were told that this is a restaurant that is um, they have some endangered giant salamanders that and they had some giant salamanders in a tank, and then it turned out that that was a specialty of the restaurant. They ate salamanders. They made them and served them on the table. So that was a little bit odd. Well, but yes, <laughs> I went to a banquet once that had um, a small crocodile tails. It was, it was the whole meal right there. Uh, it was a little off-putting, I have to say. Uh, I mean, I've had, you know, crocodile bites in Louisiana, but not the whole crocodile, the rear end of the crocodile. Nevertheless, yes. Interesting. Well, anyway, so so the Chinese food is an adventure to say the least. Um, it was one of the, the people were so friendly, and I must say, in this part of China, there wasn't a lot of people that spoke English, but we managed to work it out okay. But um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that we saw in the, the city of Changsha. Um, that we went to the Hunan Museum, which is a really remarkable museum. If you're ever in Changsha, get a chance to see this place. It's got it's a museum where they have a two that they found a two thousand year old uh, no member of the nobility who was a woman who was the leader of her clan and she was buried in a very 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 fancy crypt and you can see in these photographs I sent you there's a picture of a crypt which is at the very bottom of the museum and you start at the very top and you work your way down and it's just remarkable the things they found in the tomb in the crypt that showed how people lived back in the old days, 2,000 years ago. Another remarkable thing in, in Changsha is the head, statue of the head of Mao. As a young man, you can see he's not bald, you can see, Paul. He's no longer a bald man in this right. picture. He's a young man who is going to college, but you can tell by the eyes that it's Chairman Mao in a, like a Mount, uh, sort of Mount Rushmore kind of thing. Uh, you know, there are so many uh, pictures of Mao, and of course, back in '84, there were the, the writings of Mao. Everything was around of Mao, uh, and everybody was wearing Mao suits, uh, in, in, which were sold in stores in boxes. You didn't try them on; they weren't, you know, stylish. You just bought. I think they were either gray or blue, and that was it. You knew your size. You bought it in a box and took it home. Oh, that's right. So you can look like Mao. Um, yeah. Well, you know. So, so in Hunan, Hunan from Hunan, we traveled um, a long way. We drove uh, south, south. Uh, I say northeast, northwest. We drove out of out of Changsha, and we drove up to the province called Zhangjiji. And the Zhangjiji really needs to be. Uh, uh, somebody needs to see a picture of Zhangjiji to give it justice, Paul. It is. It is. I'll give you an example. The movie Avatar was filmed in Zhangjiji. Oh, wow. And you in the movie there are a lot of these long, tall, what they call karsks, long columns that are thousands of feet tall with trees on top. Those are the karsks that make up Zhangjiji and make Zhangjiji such a unique place in the world. It's a world heritage site and it sure deserves it. It is one of the most stunning places I've ever been. And this is sort of the inspiration for Avatar, then. Wow. Well, it was where the Avatar movie, part of the outdoor stuff, was filmed there, and it's quite wow. a, it's 
quite a big deal. But when you see this, you go out on these lookouts. Well, first of all, a lot of what's interesting about the Chinese to me is how they deal with their natural beauty. They decide, you know, in the United States, it's like, well, let's keep the Arches National Park or Moab. Let's not do anything to destroy it or damage it. Let's keep it the way it is. But in China, it's more like, let's build a chairlift so people can go there. Let's build a glass bridge across a cavern. Let's build, let's build gigantic walkways on the sides of cliffs 4,000 feet high so people can walk on it. They're much more into conquering the wilderness and adding as much as they can to make it accessible to their billion people. So you get things like walkways and beautiful chairlifts that take you in extraordinary heights so you can see these natural beauties up close and observe and, of course, take pictures when you get up there. Wow. Well, that, of course, explains the uh, glass bridges. Now, did you actually walk across a glass bridge? I walked across many glass bridges. Apparently, the Chinese are crazy about glass bridges. There's more than 2,000 glass bridges in China. They love scary glass bridges. And, you know, about 100 of them have cracked and freaked people the heck out. (laughs) I would be a little concerned about that. I w- remember climbing King of Peaks, and uh, which was about I don't know, well over a thousand steps up. No handholds, no hand, you know, guardrails. It was just steps carved out of granite. And uh, right. Elizabeth and I are up there, and our guide said, "Well, now we have to do the one scary thing." In the whole time, he said, "You have to step across the chasm," and the chasm is, of course. I don't know, a thousand feet down or something like that. And you do this, the the guide shows you, and it, it's really not very scary, but you, and, and it's not really, yeah, it's scary, but not that scary. And so we get up to the top of King of Peaks and they're building a tea house there. And Chinese uh, porters are carrying concrete up to the top and I tried to lift one of their loads. I couldn't even lift it off the ground. And, of course, they're all smoking and running and, you know, everything else. It's incredible. Well, anyway, when we get up to the top, the guide says, oh, we don't have to go down the steps. There's a road. And I thought, okay, very practical Chinese. Well, I know. They they don't. It's funny. When you go to places like, uh, you know, you go to, uh, like, uh, Austria, you know, half the people want to get off the tram so they can walk. The Chinese don't have that same desire to walk. They like to take elevators and bridges and, and so forth. So I want to show you one of the things that was staggering. And this, again, maybe the photograph needs to do it justice. But you can see one of the photographs of the – I think that's the one of the tallest elevators ever built. Wow. On the side of the mountain, there's an elevator. And you take that elevator all the way down. Now – Unfortunately, we did it at night, so I couldn't really see. But that elevator has a glass floor, and you're flying down the elevator, and it's you can see it's just stunning. Can you see that picture, Paul? It's pretty Uh, stunning. Yes, and what amazes me is with all the glass floors cracking in the bridges, uh, you wonder how confident you are about standing in that elevator. I don't know, but we did it. It was a lot of fun. And you can see throughout that the, as uh, the, the adventure started with just a couple of little walkways, glass walkways along the side, and then it culminates where you start. You're you're actually taking a longer tram, a seven mile tramway 
from the wow. city of GG. It's a seven kilo, I'm sorry, seven kilometer tram all the way up to the top of this mountain. And then you get to the point where you see these long, long walkways, which are suspended on concrete. You're 4,000 feet up. I keep thinking, I'm going to drop my phone. I'm going to drop my phone. Yeah, I didn't yeah. drop my but uh, it was just it, one of the most stunning things I've ever done is to walk up on top. Now, of course, one of the things to bear in mind about China is there's a lot of people that want to do the same thing that you do. So oh you do God. have a situation in which there's probably a two and a half to three hour line we had to wait in to get to the top of the thing. It's nonstop. It is unbelievable. And I, so you, you wait and wait and wait and you take this steep, steep tram seven kilometers up. And but when you get up on the top, you start walking around these these walkways, and apparently we only walked on a tiny part of the walkways, go all the way around the other side of the mountain. So then your question is, how do you get down? Uh, yes. Well, there's there's two choices, Paul. There's two choices to get down. There's one way to get down, which is called the thousand steps, and you basically take the world's longest steps I've ever seen, or you take one of 12 massive escalators. And you can see the picture of uh, one of the 12 escalators that takes you down from this mountain. You can't believe it. 12 escalators. They're all at, at longer than any escalator I've ever seen. And this is because you're going down so far. And then actually when you're all down, then you have to get into a bus and snake your way down these winding roads. The bus driver drives especially fast Scares the heck out of you. Scares the heck out of you. But it's just part of the fun. You know, part of the fun of James GZ. And it really is a wonderful place. If you ever have a chance to go to China and you say your your itinerary is going to be Beijing and Shanghai, add a few days and go out to this part of Hunan. It really is dramatic. One of the other things we did, Paul, is we took a, a boat ride inside a cave. And you can see there are these boats lined up in these photographs. These electric boats take you far, far into this cave. Wow. Into a Huang, it's called the Huan Longdong Scenic Area. And this is a beautiful series of caves. Some of our friends continued the hike after we took this long, long trip through this multicolored lit up cave in, the, in on a boat. These other friends took, they did another two miles underneath the ground uh, doing the hike. This is the kind of stuff you can do in China. I, I just think it adds a wonderful element to the to the Beijing and the Shanghai and the Terracotta Warriors. This is a lot more fun. Absolutely, and you get to see another side of China, and that's one of the great things about GoNomad.com. You show different sides of the world than we're accustomed to seeing, and that makes a visit to GoNomad.com just really enjoyable. Um, we we will look forward to your next report, Max, and uh, we will keep uh, everyone posted on your travels as well. And thank you so much for joining us today and telling us about part of Zhang Zhizhi and Hunan and Hainan Island. What amazing places in China. And look all that up on GoNomad.com. You'll see incredible photographs and uh, and this as well. What an amazing trip. Thank you so much for joining us, Max. Okay, Paul. Look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks very much.
Join Paul and Elizabeth at any time since each episode of Traveling is available as a podcast on iTunes, keyword on travel, and at ontravel.com. You can join the global community on Twitter and Facebook at ontravelmedia, and you can email at traveling at ontravel.com. Your suggestions for show topics and comments are always welcome. Join us next time on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Fred Sater.